technology is only as good as the strategy which precedes it. It's only as good as the people that implement that strategy and yeah. that the technology will enable all of that. But I think that's the number one challenge that I've experienced and the one that's kind of, you know, if you don't get it right, it's game over. Yeah. If you do get it right, the sky's the limit. You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a B2B podcast that brings you the juiciest insights from go-to-market leaders and practitioners. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Isaac Castro, and I'm very excited today to have Ryan Altman with us. Uh, hi, Ryan. Welcome. Hey, Isaac. Thanks for inviting me. That's a pleasure, and I'm looking forward to today's session. And we'll be talking about something which is very important. And that's really around evolving the ABM. So I'll give you a bit of an overview in terms of, you know, Ryan's background and, and of course his bio, and then we're going to dive into the questions. Ryan began his career at IBM before moving to GE, worked on building out their global ABM strategy and, and infrastructure. Um, and currently Ryan's working on business transformation by taking ABM to scale at, at Henkel, you know, a global uh, industrial organization. Ryan holds a, a bachelor's and master's degree in marketing and strategic management. And yeah, once again, you know, we're super excited to have you on board today, Ryan. And I'm going to kick off with, with a bunch of questions, which, you know, our listeners are very keen to learn from, from your experience and, and, you know, industry knowledge that you have. So firstly, and, and, and of course, very important is that ABM has been around for, for a while. It's not necessarily anything new, but it does evolve and it does change, right? And as a constant, it's constantly evolving. It has so over the past two decades. Are you able to tell us a bit more and, and help our listeners understand a bit more about, you know, what, is this, what does this evolution look like and, and how has this sort of changed over the past, you know, two decades that, that you know, it's been, it's been around really? So if you start with that, that'd be great, please. No, absolutely. Thanks, Isaac. So, look, you know, I've been in B2B marketing for about 13, 14 years and obviously studying marketing, as you alluded to before, at university as well. So when we talk about two decades, I can give you my personal empirical experience for the majority of that. And obviously, with having lots of great mentors and people who have been there before me, I, I've learned kind of where it, where it came from even before that, at least to their view. So to me, the term account-based marketing or you know, account marketing or any of those variations of it, I think has been around for a long, long, long time. I think, you know, you are talking multiple decades, but as you allude to, the actual practical implementation of it is now completely different to what it was. So I think it looks like night and day, but as you say, it's been an evolution. It's just been a, a an incremental evolution over the years. So much so that now it's just this giant beast, I think, whereas before, I think, you back, go back a couple of decades ago, you think about most enterprises, for example, what was account marketing? You know, the salesperson is absolutely key still today as they were then. But I think back then it was it was almost all on the salesperson, you know, building those key account plans, having those interpersonal relationships with people at the account that they've known for however many years. And they were really the oracle of that. But if you think about what's happened in the last few years, a couple of things have happened. One, you know, customers are demanding more, and so they should. Uh, they're demanding better convenience. They're demanding more personalization, and they want to be wowed. You know, it's not doing business with a company now. It's not about just a simple transaction. It's about actually a relationship and actually building long-term value for that customer. So that's happened, and there's much more prominence on that, and that has really teed up ABM. 
But of course, none of that would be possible without the obvious thing, which is the technological evolution. So whereas before the salesperson had all those key relationships with the account, what would marketing be asked to do? I don't know. Maybe they would create a flyer. Maybe they would add a logo in on some of the communications. These are very basic things to add minor amounts of personalization. You juxtapose that against today. What can you do? You can have a multifunctional approach to tiered levels of accounts in a pyramid for a given industry, and you can design completely targeted experiences, globally targeted an account by the job title, by their region, and you could have have that through different publications, different messages to different people within the same account. And you can orchestrate all of that digitally and you can analyze then on the back end how those accounts are actually engaging with you. And so that compared to what I described for 15, 20 years ago is night and day. And so the technological underpinning of this is really what has, I, put, I think it's put rocket boosters on account-based marketing. So whilst that was still called ABM or account marketing, or whatever you want to call it 15, 20 years ago, why is it being talked about more now? Because frankly, it's just a much bigger beast. The ability to target, personalize, analyze, and consistently improve that customer experience is there now. Whereas I think to be frank, it acted as a bit of a vacuum 15, 20 years ago. And so now the sky is the limit. Yeah, absolutely. And how would you say a marketeer could go from doing a pilot to actually scaling up their strategy enterprise-wide and including some of those sort of, you know, key success ingredients you've just explained there, what would that look like? Yeah, great point. Actually, that links on from the last point I was making, which is that, you know, what was ABM 15, 20 years ago? Would you even need to pilot it? Because if we're literally talking about just doing some very minor personalization for a salesperson working on a specific account, it's not very joined up, you don't need to pilot that, you know, you just, that's an ad hoc activity. Now, because we are talking about multifunctional, enterprise-wide, strategic initiatives that last multiple years towards an industry and their subset of accounts, that can be expensive. That could take quite a lot of resource. So the idea of the pilot, of course, has become really prominent in the B2B space because, of course, you don't, you know, like any agile philosophy, you don't throw all of your money, all of your resource into one thing that you're not familiar with overnight and just hope for the best. So the pilot is a great way to really bring other stakeholders on board in the company, potentially the purse holders, those guys that are, are really looking to drive that market strategy and say, well, actually, ABM is about uh, sales and marketing working together from the design of a strategy all the way through the implementation and then the evolution of that strategy. And then it goes to bringing other functions in as well. You can't do that for every market that you deal in immediately. And you can't do that with every sales team and every marketing team in the enterprise and every product development team. So the idea of the pilot is that you obviously start on a much smaller scale. You prove out a microcosm, a genetic microcosm. And then if that's proved out, you start to spread that DNA, if you like, across the organization. So what could that microcosm be? It could just be one market. You could just say, look, I'm going to do ABM in one market, take one of the smaller markets, we build a pyramid, we target the whole market, and then we do increasing levels of personalization for some of those top accounts in that market. Could even be a sub-market. It could even be literally just one or two accounts. I'm not going to get into here whether that's necessarily a good idea because obviously you, you want to make sure you're leveraging synergies when you build content, and sometimes it's better to build it 
for a few accounts and then personalize upwards if, if that makes sense. But the underlying thesis here is you need to start small, but with enough proof points behind you. So I would suggest maybe one market would be would be relevant, maybe one region. You align marketing and sales from the absolute get-go and you build the strategy and you have uh, shared goals as well. So with sales, marketing, commercial excellence, product development, all the teams that are involved in that initiative need to have that shared goal at the end, whether it is literally the leads, the MQLs, SQLs, the opportunities, and frankly, because this is what we're all in it for, the revenue and that customer value at the end of that as well, which I think those two things are inextricably linked, the, the customer value and the revenue, and you are working cross-functionally towards that goal. And as I alluded to earlier, you now have the technology, not only to build that content and target it specifically, but to have shared dashboards that are relevant to sales, relevant to marketing, relevant to whether it even be product development in terms of the customer feedback. So even in a pilot, if you can spin some of that tech up and you build the right strategy, you could really prove out that you delivered that extra value to that market. And whatever the benchmark is, whether it's more leads, as I say, more more opportunities, if it's a longer buying cycle, obviously you may need to, to measure some of those earlier metrics. But whenever it is, you start proving that out. And if it is significantly beyond what you have today, which it should be, and that's the purpose of doing it, it's then about communicating that value across the organization to the relevant stakeholders to say, hey, look, we are moving the needle in these markets. We're delivering better customer value. We're doing it on a small scale. We can prove it with the metrics, the sales metrics, the marketing metrics, all the other metrics are in this one shared dashboard. And now we've got the microcosm, you know, do we have the ability to start to scale that? I think they're really the key components when, when thinking about building a pilot. Mm, good. And as you're sort of building those components, you know, within, within the pilot, and then, you know, if successful, you, you can scale up, you know, what are typically some of the challenges that, you know, you yourself have, have gone through, right? And as, as you've gone through that journey, I'm sure your listeners would want to avoid reinventing the wheel. So, and, and avoid the same mistakes. So what would you say are those top hurdles or challenges, things that could potentially stop them from, from you know, achieving that, that success which you were going to before? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first one is, and it's kind of still when you're, when you're in pilot a little bit, is one, let's make sure that we actually get the agreement to scale in the first place. So by that, I mean, if you're in a market, for example, where let's say the buying cycle is about two years, as I mentioned, you know, you may not be able to show the revenue within the timeframe of the pilot. So I think being clear with all the relevant stakeholders about what you're going to be able to achieve in what timeframe and what that trajectory looks like beyond that is going to be key because otherwise you won't even get the, the pilot off the ground. You know, if you're doing a pilot, the first real barrier to get over to making sure you scale is to make sure the, the pilot works. And so really making sure that you've got everything in place correctly for the pilot and that people know what metrics they're using to decide on whether to scale so you know if you've got a two-year buying cycle for an industry pilot's probably not going to last two years it's probably going to be shorter so what are those metrics and are they firm enough for people to actually make a decision that we're going to go to scale is it a number of mqls that are look like they're leading to real opportunities or a number of opportunities that look like they're leading to real revenue is that going to be enough for people to actually make a decision that they want to go to scale so the first rule to scaling ABM is don't lose the pilot. Make sure you've got to throw everything into that pilot and make sure that it works. Now, once that's happened, once you've got over that hurdle, I think the next key thing to consider 
is to not grow too fast, which might sound controversial, but I don't think that's an ABM rule. I think that's a business rule in general, right? Not to scale too quickly and bite off more than you can chew. You've just done one vertical or you've just done one sub-vertical or you've just done a couple of accounts. Don't now say, well, I'll tell you what, actually, we're ready to press the button and go to 10 verticals because you need to understand whether you actually have that maturity internally to go and do that. And nine times out of 10 companies won't have that immediately. You've built the maturity in the pilot. You've proved that. But then I think the next stage, and this is a very boring way of putting it, but I think it's the reality, is that you need to scale very slowly, deliberately, and incrementally. So if you've done one vertical, move on to the next one and make sure that those three key elements are in place, people, process, and technology. Now, you probably would have had most of them on a scaled down view in the pilot, but as you scale up, do you have the skill set within the organization that can run an ABM program end to end? You obviously had it in the pilot, otherwise it wouldn't have succeeded. Can you upskill people who are in the organization? Are they willing to do that? Great. Let's start that. But of course, upskilling takes time. So you can't just jump to a number of different industries and verticals. Do you need to hire in some talent so that you get that kind of viral effect, that positive effect of, of the skill set catching on and catching on and catching on? That's the first point. The process is the next one. Yes, you've defined the process in the pilot, but a bit like when you're obviously communicating something and the third person tells the fourth person tells the fifth, you know, the process is the holy grail. And you know, if you scale too quickly, little shortcuts can be taken, little amendments, and before you know it, the process that you started with is not the process that's being delivered at scale. So you must protect that at all costs. And then finally, the technology. And I've specifically left that till last because whilst it's wonderful, whilst it's enabled all the great things that we do in ABM, it really is the last thing to put in place because it is the enabler. But technology is only as good as the strategy which precedes it. It's only as good as the people that implement that strategy and okay. that the technology will enable all of that. So you have to scale very deliberately and incrementally. And those three elements at every stage of the scaling have to be absolutely spot on. And I would say that once you've reached a certain level, so once you scale to it depends on your organization, but let's say five verticals or six, and you've got it down, then maybe just maybe you've reached escape velocity. And maybe that positive effect of the skill set and the process is catching on. And maybe people start doing it organically without even, you know, being having a proper program to instruct them how to do it. But you can't jump straight to that point of scanning. So it's got to be done. It's a multi-year process and it's going to have to be done incrementally. But I think that's the number one challenge that I've experienced and the one that's kind of, you know, if you don't get it right, it's game over. If you do get it right, the sky's the limit. And you mentioned technology towards the end. It's a nice thing. Can you, can you tell our listeners why it's so important to have, a, have the right strategy in place and that even though you might have the best tech out there, even though you buy the best tech and you've got the best smart market stack in the world, that's not necessarily going to make your, you know, account-based marketing efforts successful. So why is having the right strategy sometimes even more important than having the, the technology? And you did allude to that before, Ryan. You did leave the tech towards the end. I think our listeners would want to learn more about that because there's, there's this sort of belief out there that you buy the tech and the strategy just follows that. But I think to your point, it's the other way around. And our listeners would like to understand that a bit more. 
Yeah, and, and it is very easy to fall into that, and I understand it completely because there's a lot of great tech out there, and there's a lot of great. I'm going to use the word capability within the tech, but the reason I use that word is because. Having the capability to do something doesn't mean that you're actually going to be able to do it and implement it. Or, or, or having the potential to do something, that the technology, doesn't mean that you're actually going to extract all of that potential out of it. The strategy is always going to trump all of it because at the end of the day, I'm just trying to think of the kind of the best example of, of why this wouldn't be the case and it wouldn't work that the tech would come first. Because, for example, you could have the most sophisticated technology stack and you could say, actually, we'll just implement that. We've bought, you know, we've kitted ourselves out. We've got all the latest technology, all the latest targeting mechanisms, the latest personalization tools. Guess what? I don't have a clue what market I'm going after. I don't know the prioritization of the accounts, but this tech will tell me all of that. Let's think about that. If that tech is actually doing that for you, then you've got more problems than trying to understand whether you need tech or, or, or not, right? You, that really should be something that the business going to market understands anyway. And then the technology helps you to augment that. So it helps you to go after those markets in a more efficient manner. It helps you to target those accounts within those markets in a more narrow and defined way. It helps you to personalize the experience, give the customer a better experience. It helps you to analyze how they are interacting with your content in your campaigns. And that means that you can then course correct and iterate as you go along. So the technology are over time is helping you to evolve your strategy, but it's evolution, not revolution. And the actual strategy itself is more of the revolution. That's really where you're actually going to win or lose in the marketplace is deciding if you're going after the right market segments, you've got the right prioritization of accounts and personalization, and then the tech will help you do that. But the tech won't decide that stuff for you initially. Otherwise, and, you know, this probably isn't the podcast to go deep into AI, but otherwise that's kind of the other end of the spectrum where, you know, technology is running everything. You know, we're a long, long, long way off that. So that's really why I think strategy is always going to trump the technology. And, and you know, you, you kind of said, you know, you, you spoke about AI, right? I mean, my next question to you is there's a lot of emerging concepts and there's a lot of emerging trends within an account-based organization. I mean, what would you say are a couple of those right now and in, in, into this into this climate. Yeah, I think in terms of trends overall, you alluded to it, right? The account-based organization, the account-based enterprise. So where are we right now generally? Obviously, you have to take an average because different organizations are different places. But I think everybody's pretty much agreed that ABM is about the prioritization of accounts and the subsequent levels of personalization around those accounts at scale. And it's about sales and marketing working hand in hand together. But where is it heading? And where are some companies already going already? And that is around the account-based enterprise. That is saying it's not just sales and marketing, but it is commercial excellence. It is product development. It is customer service. It is every single conceivable touch point that the customer or prospect will have with you, frankly, over the lifetime of the relationship with that customer. And how do you align all of your functions internally to make sure that that entire journey and that entire experience is a first-class experience? Sales is great. Marketing is great. But, you know, let's be frank, it doesn't just end there. There are companies that co-develop products with their customers, working with the product development team. There's the service team, aftercare. After, you know, all of this has to be aligned. So I think the next logical evolutionary stage of this 
is companies starting to align their functions around their ABM pyramids and around the strategies, as mentioned before, that they have for those markets based on ABM principles and literally to align with what was mentioned before as well, the technology will again enable that because let's be frank, right? Sales, marketing, product development, customer service, all those different functions I just mentioned, you know, they're not meeting every day on a call. They're not, they're not meeting every week on a call. You know, it's just not practical to do that. But the technological advancements to have one single view of the customer from literally clicking a LinkedIn ad to watching a webinar, to downloading a white paper, to meeting the salesperson, even at an offline event, let alone an online one, and then into the CRM, and then the after service. And that entire experience can now be constructed in one single view of the customer. The technology has enabled that. And so whilst the strategy has to be perfectly in place for it, the technology, I believe, it has put rocket boosters on ABM in the last 10 years. It's now going to put rocket bo boosters on the account-based enterprise and the account-based organization, not just marketing, not just sales. Um, where do you see this evolving within the next you know, 10 years? Where, where do you see this account-based organization move towards? And then what would that look like in the long distant future in 10 years time? Yeah, there's a question. Honestly speaking, I think it's going to take 10 years for this account-based enterprise notion to play out en masse. I don't think that's something that happens overnight or even in the next year or two. I know a lot of organizations are, are really pushing down the road with this now, but I think that trend is going to be the major B2B trend that we see uh, over the next 10 years. But of course, uh, we alluded to it earlier, it's going to be propelled by AI. It's going to be propelled by a lot of these new deflationary technologies that can help to augment what we do, increase our productivity. And if you think about, as I said, what really put those rocket boosters on ABM, I don't know what the more extreme version of a rocket booster is, but AI is going to certainly be that. And I think it's just going to help to really lead to levels of efficiencies in going to market that we, frankly, we can't even imagine right now. You know, you, you can't even actually say exactly what the specific use cases are going to be in 10 years' time because... It's like any new technology, people build it and then they build upon the building blocks of what's already been built and then you end up somewhere you didn't expect. But the trend, the trend is going to go towards the account-based enterprise and I think it's going to be very much propelled by AI and automation and how we use that to really not only improve our offerings to the customer and make sure that they're more efficient getting more value, but that also we're becoming more efficient internally as well and really increasing everybody's productivity as a byproduct of that. You know, with too much to sort of the climate we're in right now, I think from what I've heard, you know, Henkel is actually a good start to, to, to the year. I mean, can you sort of help our listeners learn a bit more about how you're adapting to current economic downturn, right? I, I speak to every customer and every every customer is different, right? And they're facing challenges. Some of them well, some of them necessarily not that. In the case of Henkel, it seems you've had a good start to the year. What would you say, you know, is, is driving that? And then how are you sort of adapting to this change in, in the economic climate that we're in right now? Absolutely. I mean, I'm not going to comment in depth on, on any sort of financials, of course. But um, you, what I would say is that Henkel has you know, over 140 years of delivering for their customers and leading. And markets work in cycles to an extent. And you get good periods, you get not good periods, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, that's just a macroeconomic reality now one thing that remains the same is 
the obsession around the customer. I think regardless of the external environment, if you are obsessing around delivering the best possible customer experience, I think that's what sees you through those external realities and not reacting and reacting for reaction's sake to that. I think really it is all about what is your long-term vision? What are you in the business of doing? What value are you adding to your customers? For example, through our advanced materials, where you know it could be a number of different applications where we help to drive efficiency, create new products, and you know really solve a lot of real-world challenges that are out there in industry. That's always going to be needed, and that's what we want to constantly be delivering. And I think that's what sees you through, because at the end of the day, that's what adds value out in the world, rather than reacting to potentially short-term circumstances. So really, that's very much how our, I see our approach as being. Good. Good, very good. Our listeners are always interested to, to get some recommendations about some good reads, books, blogs, newsletters that you probably, you know, on a daily basis, you know, read. It. Well, you know, what would you say are the top ones that, that you, you would recommend to our listeners? Sunny Side Up, of course. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's the first one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, no, but seriously, I did actually, funny, since we were in contact, Isaac, you know, I've been listening to a lot of the different podcasts. I think it is a, a good wealth material. I, I don't want to just shamelessly plug the podcast for you, but it, it is actually very, very good. For me, B2B marketing, the institution have a lot of great events as well as the different sort of webinars and things that they do. I've found that very, very useful. Learning from other peer practitioners, you know, they've got a very, very big sort of knowledge sharing community there. And for something a bit different, it isn't specifically ABM. I don't know if you, you know, you specifically saying it should be ABM, but I've been watching the All In podcast with Shamar Palahapatir and uh, David Sachs, which is very much a kind of tech business podcast. And for me, from those macro elements around where venture is going, how businesses are scaling, and they do often sometimes actually get into the into more details around how companies go to market. And you know, there was a recent episode around. Hey, how AI is going to revolutionize lead generation, for example. So um, we've really been getting into that podcast as well. So I'd say that would be for a nice mix of pure ABM through to sort of more macro and technology. That would be my three. Okay, good stuff. Yeah, um, I absolutely agree with you. B2B marketing, you know, we have been to the events and they do have some solid thought leadership. So that's good. And I definitely recommend anyone who's starting their journey on ABM uh, or Calvix experiences and definitely to just go to those events. So, so absolutely. And some people that would inspire you, you know, in the B2B space, you, you probably mentioned the guys in, in only in podcasts, maybe, maybe them or anyone else that, that you sort of look up as an inspiration in the B2B space. It doesn't have to be now. It could be, you know, anyone in the distant future, potentially, or anyone in the past. I mean, what are the sort of those potential or better said, what are those inspirational people that you see in the B2B space? In terms of inviting new people, you've you got a lot of that covered, obviously. But no, I mean, I think, you know, without keeping it really close to home in the in the B2B space, I mean, you know, Tony Comston-Wells and, and John Cote at GE, they really gave me my break in terms of being able to, to run an ABM team, right? We never had one before, you know, so that that's very personal to me with those guys. Pierre, who's my leader here at, at Henkel, is really sponsoring and driving this customer transformation with Frederick Chupin. And so without them, none of this would have been possible at Henkel. They're doing some unbelievable things here. And so, yeah, I think, you know, on a, on a very pragmatic and personal basis, I would I would say for them guys, Sandra Zarati, who is an ex-CMO and is working with us the mother as well, has been, been quite influential to me and, and guiding and so, yeah, I think, you know, there's key, key guys at Ricky Abbott. We work quite heavily with, with transmission. So as an agency side, 
influence there as well. So it's quite a few names there. But um, yeah, and certainly on the journey that I've had and that we've had at Henkel, they, they've been absolutely pivotal. Okay, great stuff. Well, on what this is, do you want to sort of reach out and, and potentially engage you and then ask you questions and, and learn from you, given given how much, you know, insight you've shared today? What's the best way to do that? Is it through LinkedIn or is that is that a good way for them to do that or...? Yeah, LinkedIn. Yeah, I've just I just did three blogs basically, which allude very much to the journey that we're going on, and and also ABM in general covered a lot of the stuff we've just we've covered here. So uh, you can catch all of that there. That's where to contact me. Excellent, good stuff. And you know, Ryan, it's been it's been amazing to have you here. You know, it's been some very good insights. You know, great to hear about your experience and some solid, you know, actionable recommendations. Really, I think that's going to really help a lot of our listeners to to kind of take that in and and, and you know embrace that, but also bring that to their own organization so really thank you for your time really thank you for being part of the size Startup podcast today and yeah ho- hopefully in the, in the distant future or not too long we can probably you know invite you again it'll be it'll be good to have you here so once again thanks so much i thank you guys really appreciate it thanks guys today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is smarter gtm for b2b brands to help marketing and sales teams spot the juiciest opportunities earlier and progress them faster Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demandbase TV. 